Hello, and welcome to episode 97 of Craft Cook Read Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, August 18th, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm giving Monica the silent treatment on that question because <laughs> both of us have just sent our older sons off to college and we're not talking about it. <laughs> not at all. Mine is still at the airport, so he's not really there yet, but it's uh it's been a fun morning. So But to distract ourselves But very exciting. We're yeah, very pleased. We're excited for them. And to distract ourselves, we have a 100th episode coming up. I know. In a couple weeks. It's amazing. I'm so proud of us. I'm really proud of us too. We have been consistently recording every two weeks for almost four years now. Yeah. So that means we're coming up on a big milestone episode. And to that end, I've been listening to how other people celebrate their milestone episodes. One option that I saw was people taking questions from their listeners and not just about the content that we usually serve up, but any kind of question. And I thought that it would be really fun to acknowledge this achievement and take questions from our listeners. What do you want to know? What haven't we covered? What where did we leave something off? Did we leave you hanging somewhere? Do you want to scold us for giving away the plot on a Louise Penny novel? <laughs> like, bring it on. So we're taking questions. We are always available on Instagram through the Craft Cook Read Repeat account or through Courtney SF account. And then Monica is super active on our Ravelry account and her Ravelry account, which is Magdon. And then craft, cook, read, repeat over on Ravelry, if that works for you. A- any other way that they can get in touch with us? Craft, cook, read, repeat at gmail.com. That'll, well. that'll work too. Yep. We would love to hear what you're wondering about. Maybe, maybe it's nothing about us personally, but you want to hear people talk about pumpkin spice latte. We'll give it a go. So just <laughs> like write in. We'd love to hear from you. 100 episodes feels like a giant achievement to me. Um, especially through COVID and life and everything. We'll be celebrating that in September. Fun, yeah. So you probably have about a month before. Well, let's see. Yeah, like a month before we record it. So we'll remind you in the next couple of episodes as well. But for this one, it will be, you know, our standard fare on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and bingo, which is we're getting close to the end. I made progress. Yay! Despite my household upheaval. Excellent. But we'll start with On the Needles, which, as I warned you all, two big projects, not a whole lot to talk about. I did work a little bit on my Atlantic Heart Shawl by Hohi Locatelli, which is in three colors of Neighborhood Fiber Company Rustic Fingering. So it's in a black and a beige with black spots and a pink. And I've gotten to the second textured section. So there's, you start off with one color and then there's a textured section with two colors and then you go back to the one color and then a textured section with the second color. And that's where I am. And it just, 
adding on to the rows and making it longer and slipping stitches. And it's it's very meditative and beautiful. And one of those projects where you have to stop every row or so to admire the progress that you've made because it's such a pretty pattern. And oh, yes, look, I am. And also to check and make sure you haven't screwed it up. At this point, the rows are probably over 200 stitches. So you do not want to screw it up because it will take a while to fix. Occasionally, I pick that up. But what most of my energy has been going to is my Zephyr pullover, officially the Zephyr Mark II by Celia McAdams Cahill. She has a Zephyr cardigan that's been out for quite a while, and I know a bunch of people that have knit that and really love it. So this one is a test knit. She has revamped her cardigan pattern and made it a pullover, and it will be provided to the attendees of my knitting retreat that I go to in the spring. So it'll come out, I guess, in the fall so that people can knit it if they want. And then we all wear them at the retreat and take a really cute photo. And it's going to be super fun. So several of us are doing a test knit to make sure pattern is all that it can be. So it's really fun. And there's a bunch of options. So I've, I'm doing long sleeved with stripes and waist shaping. You can also do it no stripes. You can do it without the waist shaping. I am doing mine in the Mendocino wool and fiber Romney Coriadale fingering mix. And then I have stripes in a dark purple, the Biche et Bouche Le Petit Lambswool in dark violet blue. And then also a medium blue stripe, which is a verb for keeping warm creating in my hand and yours, which is from a million years ago. And that that got dug out of deep stash. So I am I am making progress. I finished the body, which is very exciting because it is fingering weight. Yeah, that's time, it's, time it's, it, Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't hard, which is mostly knitting in a circle. I guess I did have to worry about the increases and decreases for the waist shaping. And then there's a lace panel that runs along the front of the whole thing. So every once in a while, you do have to suddenly do some lace work. But it's a super easy pattern, easy to memorize. And she also set it up very nicely where the the row count is eight rows per inch and the lace pattern is eight rows in a repeat. So it made it easy to count when she says, you know, knit till it's this long. You just add up your repeats. Very simple. Also, most of the increases and decreases were at, I think, every eight rows or something. So it was all very well organized and easy. And so now I'm on the first sleeve which, uh, you, I mean, I guess you could do whatever you want, but you do are supposed to stripe the whole sleeve. So again, it just keeps her interest. The decreases for the sleeve are at that same every eight rows, which is very nice. Um, your color changes every eight rows. I have been doing the Weave and Steven. I looked that up. That seemed really nice. Yeah, I actually emailed Celia and asked if she had any favorite weave as you go method. And she said she actually doesn't like to do it because she thinks it looks bumpy or a little sloppy Mm -hmm. when she does it. So she didn't have a preference. And I was like, all right, that's interesting. I think I'm still going to try this. And so far, it seems to be working. Even if you do it half the time, like remember half the time, that's half the weaving in that you'll have to do. Yeah. So I've I've mostly been remembering. So yeah, so I think it's, it's coming along. I tried it on before I started the sleeves and it seemed to fit pretty well. I think it was maybe a smidgey smidge short. So I think once I block it, it'll loosen everything up and it'll, it should be just really beautiful and perfect. And then I'll have to figure out what to do next. So many options. So many options. So not, not a lot of, of things to talk about. Did you have any needles? I have sewing needles. Excellent. 
I'm teaching Matthew how to make a pair of self-drafted cargo pants. They're like a distressed green, olive green chino that he's basing off a pair of pants that he really likes. And I had a plan for how to teach him how to do this. And really what has worked the best is just making him take apart the pants, like a pair of pants that are a little bit too small. And then we're checking the pattern pieces and then stitching them as he goes. I really, I keep telling him that he has started on the most difficult of sewing projects like pants with a fly are so tricky for even an experienced seamstress or sewist. And he is just really gung ho. So we'll see. We'll see how they come out. Well, that's kind of, I mean, he is an engineer, so that's kind of his thing to take things apart and put Mm -hmm. it back together. Yeah. And I keep telling him, even if this fails, you will still have learned how to make a pair of pants, even if they don't fit, because fit is a whole other monster, (laughs) as all knitters and sewists know. So that's been happening on and off on our kitchen island, because sewing can be so time-consuming. I've often been cooking while he's doing working on a step. All good, though. On the easel, I reported last time that the brush piece that I made with the bird in the acrylic box had been accepted. Is that true? No, I don't think so. Okay. You so, had just sent it in. Okay. I've lost track of time. So my piece, Obernina, was accepted to the brush show, and I am so excited This is the piece that I made out of an altered deck staining scrubbing brush that I found at my in-law's house, and it looks like uh, natural grasses, and I made a bird out of air-dry clay, stone clay, and tucked it into the grass and put it in an acrylic housing with some a branch with lichen, and I'm pretty smitten with the piece myself, but I wasn't sure if it would be accepted to the show. And it has been, and that is delightful. And now I have to let go of it, letting go of a lot of things this week, and take it over to the gallery for the exhibit. It's being hosted by the Compound Gallery, which is in Emeryville. And the show is curated by Courtney Cerruti, who is a great Bay Area artist. And she's just really well known for her community-driven ethos. And I'm really excited about that. And then I started some more big acrylic painting. I had one spectacular fail. I think I didn't, I didn't prepare the paper fully. And so I'm painting acrylic on heavy paper. I think it needs more preparation. It just felt like, like painting on a sponge and the, the paint was just sort of absorbing into it. And so I stopped what I was doing and I primed a bunch of different canvases and papers to get them more prepared to to handle the acrylic paint. And now I'm working on, it's kind of a seascape, I guess, and it's it's pretty big and I love how the sky came out so far. Is this a commission or just nope, your own? No, this is okay. just, I'm trying to decide if I can... If I'll have enough art for open stu- to host an open studio, it has been kind of a weird year. This is a this is a dog chasing its own tail problem. 
I want to host open studios, but I don't have quite enough art at the moment, but I won't have enough art if I don't make myself host open studios. So that's where I'm at. And that's what's on the easel right this minute. So on the table, I made myself a treat yesterday. Well, it's for my whole family and I made enough to share. So Courtney got a little, little snack this morning. They are technically called Good Morning Sunshine Bars and are supposed to be like a breakfast bar, but they're really, they're not. They're a dessert. They're delicious. We went through our pan last night. Yeah. Oh in about gosh. two hours. <laughs> they're just very addictive. So my friend Telly made these and then I made her give me the recipe and it is apparently originally from Baked Elements, our 10 favorite ingredients by Matt Lewis and Renato Polifito. And this one I'm guessing is from the peanut butter section. So it's rice checks and salted peanuts and peanut butter and corn syrup. And then you put chocolate on top. And the recipe says to melt the chocolate and drizzle it. I just threw the chocolate chips on there and spread them out. It worked fine. They were delicious. They're so good. So good. (laughs) I can't wait. They're really delicious. And they're breakfast, so you can have them whenever you want. So that was fun. I haven't made those in a while. The kids were very excited to see them because they know how delicious they are. And then I have been grabbing a bunch of vegetarian cookbooks from the library. There was one that I was trying to get. One of our listeners has been, it was their cook from three recipes from a cookbook, and I thought it sounded quite good. So I went to check it out from the library, but it wasn't available. So I put it on hold. Our library online will give you, you know, while you're waiting, here's something that's available now. This one is called Vegetarian Dinners in the Oven by Rukmini Iyer. So vegetarian uh, sheet pan dishes. And there are a lot of really tasty sounding recipes in there. And it's divided by how long it takes. So less than 30 minutes up to up to 45 and then more than that. Maybe it, maybe it's up to an hour and then more than an hour. But most of the time, it's just that it's baking longer in the oven. So it's not necessarily it's not any more, more complicated. Hand, yeah. On time. It just you need to realize that it's going to be sitting there for longer. So from that one, I made miso eggplant with tofu, sesame and chili. And that one also has kale in it, which you throw in. But I didn't have kale. So I used chard, which worked fine. You mix miso with some various spices and you slice tofu and you put those on the pan and you slab the miso on the eggplant and the tofu and then it bakes and the miso, I think, kind of seeps into the eggplant and makes it even more delicious. And then you throw the chard in for the last part of it. And then when it comes out, you top it with a soy garlic lime dressing, which just brightens the whole thing up and really cuts through that miso. It was really good. I did not make the children eat it. Well, I made them eat some of the chard. (laughs) So I think I gave them chicken or something. But it was quite delicious, very easy, really bright flavors. And I mean, miso is always just a win. I love miso. Yeah. So that was exciting. And then the other one I did was the spicy harissa sprouts and broccoli with halloumi and spinach. I did not actually use the sprouts. I'll definitely, I think, in the fall use Brussels sprouts. Um, So I just did broccoli and you basically toss it with um, harissa paste and you uh, mix the halloumi with that as well. Nice baking cheese. And then again, at the end, throw in some spinach. Yeah, it was great. Uh, It wasn't too spicy, which I was a little worried about. But I think the harissa was just a nice bit of heat and flavor. I served it with rice. Again, really simple. 
just, you know, a little bit different from what I've been doing. So that was that was fun. And there's a bunch of other ones in there that I, I want to try. This one, obviously, as you can tell from the halloumi, is not vegan, but a lot of the recipes can be made vegan. And then some of them, it's not gluten-free, so some of them I just had to ignore and, <laughs> and pass by. I mean, some of them could be worked around, but not all of them. But it was good. And then in the in the back, she has charts for kind of putting together your own sheet pan stews and curries and tarts and warm salads, which I thought was really, really helpful for, at least for someone like me. Some people are very comfortable just throwing things together. I still need, I'm very comfortable with a recipe and following it exactly, but I, I feel like I could probably make a chart work for me. So I really, I've enjoyed this book. I want, there's a couple more I want to do. And then I got a whole bunch of other ones out of the library, um, including one that was vegan and gluten-free. So we will see how I feel about that. Fun. Yeah. Well, I took advantage of that in the kitchen section that was in the Chronicle two weeks ago. They had a monster food section, like a pullout section that was done by season. And I thought, This is how I'm going to do my cook local square for bingo. And so I pawed through that and found a few recipes that sounded really tasty. And the the, the first one that I've tried, I saved the thing. So you'll be hearing more about this because there are a couple more that I want to that I want to attempt. I did the summer squash gratin a la Juanita from again from the San Francisco Chronicles in the kitchen section. It kind of resembles a vegetable lasagna. The first step is to saute off a lot of shallots and garlic, and then that's your bottom layer. And then you slice. I used a mandolin and got them even thinner than it it called for, but you slice summer squash. I did green and yellow and kind of layered them sideways like files in a Pyrex And then cherry tomatoes, I just cut them in half and sprinkled them on top. And it called for some Oaxaca cheese that was a little, I mean, we live in San Francisco. I thought it would be easier to find, but we did have to go to a couple markets to find that. And I loved it. It's kind of um, a similar texture to mozzarella cheese. It has a string to it. And then you bake it off for a little while and then you pull it out, put the cheese on top and then broil it. And I went a little light on the cheese There is some Serrano chili, I think, in with the shallot mix. So it had a fair bit of kick. And I loved this dish. I thought it was really, really tasty. So simple, very colorful. And I I think that was a complete win. And that is my, my, my eat local one, too. Even though you can get a summer squash anywhere on earth, pretty much, but because the recipe is from our local paper, I'm claiming it. I also, because we've got a kid who is fledging the nest, I made a bunch of stuff for for him. I made him a key lime pie, which he ate like a quarter of in one sitting. Did he request stuff? Because I asked my kid and he's like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, we did a family dinner, like a, you know, not formal, but we had a few people over and I asked him what he wanted. And at first he wanted breaded chicken. And then I offered red meat and that was a slam dunk. So I made an epic family dinner and I was, as I was describing it to him, he was like, no, no, tell me like we're on top chef or something (laughs) like that. So I said, 
Tonight we'll be having grass-fed beef tenderloin with horseradish cream, and he wanted carrots, so I did garlic parmesan oven-roasted carrots. Wow! I have This is a new-to-me recipe, complete slam dunk. They were so good that the guys ate half the tray before dinner was even ready. It was so good. Wow, I'm not a carrot fan, but those sound pretty good. Yeah. I also did um, Brussels sprouts with a little bit of pancetta. The carb was sticky rice, lightly seasoned with rice wine vinegar. And I had like smoky soy sauce if you wanted a little topping for that. Although the horseradish cream was pretty great with the sticky rice. So that was our big epic family dinner. And everybody was really delighted with the beef tenderloin because that is a piece of meat that I only ever make at Christmas time. So it felt pretty decadent. And that is what has been on our table. Oh, I did stop in Dixon yesterday and picked up. There's a, a fruit market there that we really love. And I used to send my dad pistachio nuts from there because they have all kinds of nut trees and fruit trees around. So I bought a bag of pistachios in my dad's memory. I bought a big jar of orange blossom honey. So that is another bingo square. Nice. Yeah. Okay, on the nightstand. So this time I read a lot of short books. So I have a lot of books. Luckily for you all, the book I'm currently reading was 571 pages. So that's taking me a while. So it could have been worse. It's still... There's a lot. Yeah, I'm just going to blast through. So I started off with Something Wilder by Christina Lauren, who is actually two people. They write romances together. And this one was a romance. I've heard about this one. How come? It just came out recently. Mm, okay. They've written a bunch of books. I've read a couple of them. And they're, they're usually quite delightful modern romances. This one they wrote during the pandemic. So they said they wanted to do something a little more adventurous. So it's, it's got a little, little more action not romantic action, like bang, bang action. So Lily Wilder is our heroine. When she was 19, she got her heart broken, and then her dad sold the family ranch. And so she has spent the past 10 years recovering. She now, with her best friend, runs a backcountry adventure trip program. People pay her money, and she takes them out horseback riding and through canyons. And because her dad was a famous treasure hunter, they have a treasure hunting theme. So her latest group of guys that is coming to do this, of course, includes the guy that broke her heart 10 years ago. Cue the shenanigans. It was super fun. There was, you know, mysteries and code breaking and adventure and beautiful descriptions of Utah Canyon scenery which sounded really good. I haven't been myself, so I don't know how accurate it is. They said they spent a lot of time, you know, traveling around and learning about the environment. <laughs> and they also said, we also made it up. So don't go try and follow our route. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was super fun. Their books are all I mean, I think I've read two or three of their other books, and they were really enjoyable. So I recommend books by Christina Wilder. This one, <laughs> books by Christina Lauren. This one was called Something Wilder. Uh, the next one was A Marvelous Light by Freya Marsk, which was described as red, white, and royal blue meets Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. So I was like, yes, <laughs> that's all my things. Yeah, so it's mystery, it's magic, and it's romance. I mean, it's all my genres. What could, what could be better? 
And it was really awesome. It's also the first in a series. Oh, I was going to say. Of course. That's what would make it better is if <laughs> yes. it was a series. <laughs> it is. And this one just came out within the past year. So it's the only one currently available. So Robin Blythe is having a really bad day. His parents both died about a month ago, which actually they were awful. So he's not super upset. But it does mean that he has to restore the family finances and look after his younger sister he does have a job. Oh, we're kind of in the early 1900s. So he does have a job with the civil service and he's just gotten transferred by a guy that didn't like his dad. So he has gotten transferred to this job that is looks like it's gonna be really dead end. So he's not super excited. But when he arrives there, this guy shows up to have a meeting with him. Turns out he is now the liaison to the magical world. And he was not supposed to have this job because he didn't know that world existed. His predecessor is missing, been missing for a while. No one is quite sure if he's okay or he's just doing something undercover. His counterpart in the magical world, the guy that has come to meet him, is grumpy and does not seem very nice. And then on his way home from work, Robin is attacked and a curse is put upon him. So the day does not get any better. So now he has to try and figure out where his predecessor is, what the people that put the curse on him are looking for. And get along with this magical person and just in general get introduced to the magical world. It was just delightful from beginning to end. And I am super excited about the next one, which apparently, because they had a little preview, actually focuses on his sister. So it's not, even though there was kind of a cliffhanger, so I think there's a, an overarching theme to all of the books or overarching mystery, but we're not necessarily going to be focusing on just one character. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. And that was A Marvelous Light by Freya Marsk. And then A Mirror Mended by Alex E. Harrow, who has written 10,000 Doors of January and a bunch of other stuff. So this one is the second in her Fractured Fairy Tale series. These are very short books. First one focused on Zinnia Gray, who was living out the Sleeping Beauty story, and she escaped from that. So in the second one, she is still rescuing other Sleeping Beauties in different universes, but something goes wrong and she gets popped into a Snow White story and has to deal with that. So I don't know if I like this one quite as much, but it was really interesting as well. And again, a very quick read. Another romance, The Singles Table by Sarah Desai. This is her third book in her romance world. I think she's really starting to hit her stride. It's a little bit uh, less bumpy <laughs> in some of the ways that I found found her other books to be. So this is probably my favorite so far. Zara Patel is part of the whole Indian American community that we have seen in the other books in this series. She is a lawyer, happily single, and enjoys giving all the aunties a run for their money in the matchmaking department. And her goal is to to match up even more people this summer during the wedding season. Since she is single, she is always stuck at the singles table. And there she meets Jay, who was raised by a single mom and joined the military and is now launching a security company. So he's very busy and not interested in commitment. But his mom really wants him to meet someone nice. So Zara gets him to let her introduce him to some people. And in exchange, he will introduce her to some of his celebrity clients because she, um, well, she needs new clients for her law practice and she always wanted to go into entertainment law. So of course, as they set up meetings to get to know each other so that she can find appropriate dates for him, we can all guess what happens there. And this one also had a little adventure and mystery and intrigue going on as well. So it was it was fun. I don't know that I totally bought their romance, but, you know, it was enjoyable all the same. 
and also takes place in San Francisco, but it was less San Francisco-y than some of the other ones. Uh, and then Wild Beauty by Anna Marie McLemore. So the, the Nomeo Vitus women live in a garden. They have retreated there after uh, being driven away from other villages because of their magical abilities, and they have been settled there for about a hundred years now. Their magic is that they can grow any kind of flower, any kind of plant. So it's created this whole elaborate garden. The downside is that they cannot leave the garden. Now, if they do, they will die. And also, anyone they love vanishes. So it's a little stressful for these ladies. There are five cousins, and there are five mothers, and their five mothers that all live on this land. And the five youngest girls have all fallen in love with the same woman. And they ask the land... In love with the same woman? Yeah. Okay. They all grew up together, and they all realized that they are in love with her. So they ask the land not to make her disappear, please. They would appreciate that. Thank you very much. And the land makes a young man appear. (laughs) He doesn't remember. He doesn't know who he is or where he came from. So now there's a little mystery, and things go on from there. So this is kind of... It's kind of gothic. It was very interesting. And it's kind of modern, because they do have phones... But there's all this magic, and they're sort of off. It feels kind of like the wilderness, but instead of a house, it's a garden. Mm. It's very interesting. There's the romance part of it. There's the mystery part of it. There's the drama. So I really, I quite liked this. It was very, it was different and interesting, and I would recommend it. Yeah, I mean, like if you were, if you enjoyed Mexican Gothic, I think this would be a good follow up. And then All the Horses in Iceland by Sarah Tolmey very short book. I don't know how I found this one, but I did. So it is the story of a like ninth century Icelandic trader and how he brought horses to Iceland. He's trading through Europe and he ends up, I think, in the Balkans and then off and he meets the Mongol Khan and there's some magic. The Khan's wife is a ghost and things happen and it's kind of written like a Norse saga. Mm. So it was really interesting read totally fictional but kind of based in what was going on so that part i always find that terribly interesting and i really had to like not try and look things up because i knew it was pretty pretty fictionalized but that was a quick little enjoyable read then some non-fiction uncrowned queen the fateful life of margaret beaufort tudor matriarch by nicola tallis this was of course a follow-up to the sun in splendor which i read last time this book had been on my list since it came out a few years ago, and I just never got around to reading it. So I thought it would be a good way to read kind of a, an alternate viewpoint to the Richard III story that I had read. And yeah, it was it was really good. This is, you know, straight history. She is like a PhD historian. This is what she does. There are footnotes and, you know, all those good things. But she does write it in an entertaining way. So Margaret Beaufort was the mother of Henry VII, who was the king that overthrew Richard III. She's the grandmother of Henry VIII, if you missed last week's discussion, and so the great-grandmother of Elizabeth I. She was the second cousin of the king when she was born, and then her father died, so she was an heiress. So she gets married off to the king's half-brother at the age of 12, and he promptly dies, but she's already pregnant, and she has her one child, who ends up becoming Henry VII. So her life goals for the rest of her life are basically to protect him and advance his interests. And all the while, 
the Wars of the Roses are happening and her son, because everyone else dies, ends up becoming kind of one of the last remaining Lancaster possible heirs. It's very distant and really not great, but it is. He has to live in France for 14 years and eventually comes back. Um, and then she gets to be the mother of the king, which is a pretty good deal. So she was a really interesting woman, very independent and ended up being quite powerful in her own right, had to work through the men in her life a lot, but did quite a good job. Obviously, I think we can say so it was interesting. And Nicola clearly is of the Richard, of course, killed the princes in the tower school of thought. So that was uh, that was kind of why I was getting in there because I wanted to get some actual historical facts. <laughs> review those so that was that was a really interesting book and i enjoy her writing uh, she has a couple other books out as well does she specialize in the, that time period yes Tudor. yeah her phd was on uh royal jewelry Ooh. and i think she has a book coming out eventually but yeah she wrote about one of elizabeth's cousins and i forget what her other book was about yeah and she had the best clothes <laughs> The the historian, I did a tour where she was one of the tour guides, and she had a different amazing outfit every single day. Was, oh, I thought you meant the queen's or the king's mother. I mean, he she probably did too, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, the, the writer. And then I read Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan, which I'm pretty sure you recommended. Again, a very short one. It is Ireland, 1985, Christmas time. Bill Furlong has done very well for himself. He grew up son of a single mother, but went to school and is now has a wife and five daughters and is running the coal delivery service. There's a cold snap, so he's making lots of extra deliveries. And he makes a delivery to the local convent and sees something he was not supposed to see. There are lots of decisions and conversations that follow from that. I enjoyed this. I mean, it's one of those books where can you say you enjoyed it? Because it's kind of depressing, but really beautifully written, great sense of place, and really interesting, very much an internal dialogue of Bill's, but there's all these conversations that he has, and so much is going unsaid, and mm. you have to kind of read between the lines, so... A beautiful little That's book, I thought. That's a great description of that. And then back to the romance, Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Nora Stevens is a literary agent. She's been very busy, very busy, very busy. Her younger sister asks her to please go on vacation. So they do. They go to a small town in North Carolina. That was the setting for uh, a recent smash hit by one of Nora's clients. And they think it's going to be just, you know, an idyllic country getaway and that Nora will hopefully have a romance as one does being a big city person going to a small town, like a Hallmark holiday special kind of thing. So when they arrive there in this small town, Charlie Lastra is there and he is her professional nemesis. Again, cue the shenanigans. It was really sweet. You know, it was a romance. Lots of stuff about books that were great. Um, and the publishing industry part of it was pretty interesting. So that was just another super fun, quick read. Nothing life changing, but very, very enjoyable. And then finally, I listened to The Long Call by Anne Cleves which is, I don't know if it's her most recent book, but it's her newest series. But it's the only one out at this point, which was kind of frustrating. But it stars, stars. <laughs> her hero is Matthew Venn. He is a police detective in Devon in England. And there's a body found on the beach. And, you know, he has to solve the crime. There were fewer dead people in this one. It was, you know, it was a very, it was much like the Jimmy Perez mysteries. The Shetland. 
Yeah. Yeah. There were a couple things at the end that I don't know that I agreed with those choices, but it's fine. It was a good mystery. Every time she'd introduce a new character, I would decide that was who the killer was. And uh, so it was definitely kept, kept guessing. And the, yeah, the narrator was good. Okay. That's it. That's a stack. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's a very thin stack, though, is the thing. Yeah. I have four gigantic books going right now. Yeah, that's the thing. Where I'm halfway through all four books. So I really only finished one. Like the small things was tiny. Right. And then I had a bunch that were like that, so. Yeah. So I have bricks in progress, but the only one that I have to tell you about is Girl Forgotten by Karen Slaughter. And if, if you've been here for a minute... Karen oh, this Slaughter. is the one with the two at once? I think so. Isn't she my audiobook catastrophe? I think so, yeah. I think so, too. You're back at it. <laughs> but one at a time? This was paper. Okay, that this makes it easier. This is an actual book. <laughs> so, quick recap. My friend Kelly recommended Karen Slaughter as a great mystery writer, and Kelly was correct. Karen Slaughter is a great mystery writer. However... You really need to read her stuff in order or you're going to get very confused because I started two Karen Slaughter books on audiobook and accidentally listened to like three quarters of each one, not realizing that I was switching back and forth. And I was like, what on earth is going on? And then I realized, um, so this book, Girl Forgotten, really needs to be read after pieces of, is it pieces of her or pieces of you? Just read them in order is what you're saying. Yeah, just read them in order. So the reason why I'm mentioning pieces of her is because it's out on Netflix or something right now. They made it oh, into a miniseries. Interesting. So I read the book and I watched the miniseries of pieces of her. And I think it's really well done. And I enjoyed that book. The opening, it just opens with a gallop and you're in it and it's pretty fat. It's a pretty well-told story. This one is definitely a continuation and I think you would benefit from having read Pieces of Her first. Briefly, Pieces of Her, not to give a whole other book review, but you need to know it for this one. There's a mother and her daughter who are in witness protection program. And the girl grows up in witness protection and she doesn't really realize why until the, until pieces of her unfolds. So springboard into girl forgotten. And now the daughter who grew up in witness protection has decided to become a U.S. marshal and work in maybe not witness protection, but in that field, in that sort of law enforcement field. And her first assignment is an interesting case that may or may not have something to do with her father who belonged to, was a cult leader. And so the tie back to the other book is why it's kind of critical. So she's a rookie U.S. Marshal. There's a couple layers of mystery happening with her assignment, and she is supposed to be protecting a judge in Maryland. She's new on the job, and she's not really making mistakes, but you know, she's new. So people aren't giving her a whole lot of information and she's trying to piece together this whole other side of it and keep her mom calm because her mom is very upset that she's gone into law enforcement, 
the trajectory of the book is a little bit problematic, not not written-wise, subject matter-wise. I don't really love what's happening with the case that she's working on. It's hard to read about. So if you are not in the headspace for that, then, you know, find a different book, I guess. She does a really good job, and I think it just opens up to another book in the series. It leaves a lot of pieces hanging, and that's okay because I I feel like there's enough closure that the book could end, but it's definitely being set up as part of a series. And the characters, though, are, I mean, I remember them vividly from the first book, and so having them carry into the second book is kind of satisfying. It's like Louise Penny or Anne Cleves. You know, you're happy to meet up with these people again and know their histories. So it's kind of a little, you know, mystery romp, hard subject matter for sure, but that's Girl Forgotten, which makes me think of Girl Interrupted and Girl on a Train and so many girls, so many girls. Did you get to the fourth Anne Cleves book with the birds? Not yet. I've been saving it until my emotional world Mm. calms down a little bit. And it's probably was. And now I'll be able to paint and listen to yeah. the bird, the bird one, bird yeah. focused one. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Bingo. We are getting to the end. We began May 27th and it will run through Monday, September 5th. And I will probably do the drawing on the Tuesday, like the day after. So that I can announce it because I believe we have an episode coming out on the 7th so that you guys won't have to wait too long to find out if you won because there are prizes. To be entered, you will need to post a photo of your completed bingo card with, you know, just a row, column, diagonal, with the hashtag CCRR, Summer Bingo 2022 to Instagram, or you can post it on the Ravelry thread in our Craft Cook Read Repeat Ravelry group, if that is safe for you. And if you want a second entry, you can post a photo of your completed blackout. And then we will have two chatter prizes, one from the Ravelry thread and one from Instagram. And those prizes will be a pattern of your choice from Jennifer Lassonde Designs. She is a Boston Jen, Downseller Studio podcast. And we'll have a link to her uh, website as well. So you can check out those patterns and check out her podcast as well. It is always delightful. And then we'll have a grand prize from all the completed entries that will also have a pattern of your choice and all sorts of other goodies that we are gathering together as we speak. Yes. So I haven't really, oh no, I just did the double batch. That's what I did. That was my one thing this week. That's a win-win as the recipient of said double batch. And then, I mean, cooking from the farmer's market, I get a produce box, so I feel like I'm always doing that. I wanted to try and do something more, you know, stand out, but I might just have to to go with that. And then the friend or librarian recommendation. I guess I read a second book, The Small Things, was another one that you had recommended, so I could count that. And most of my recommendations are from the library, the list that the librarians send out, so... There was one book you were mentioning that I really did wonder where you where you had heard of it. The Iceland one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm guessing that must have been a librarian thing. I can't 
I can't think who else. I mean, yeah, I'm reading an, a very Ic- strange, an Icelandic mystery right now. So weird. And I got it from a library list when we were up in Bend. Oh. So now I'll remember that. Then I think I will just have my local specialty and knitting some or making something for something two months away. And I know what I'm doing for both of those. I just have to do them. So I might actually get a blackout this year. I'm kind of excited. I'm so excited for you. Me too. What do you got? Okay. I had my eat local square with the with the summer squash gratin. I had that new to me recipe, the garlic parmesan carrots. Where was that from? The internet. Oh, okay. Stellar though. Yeah. I think it's because my older kid, we were talking about how he needs to actively eat more vegetables when he's away at school. And I said, which vegetables do you really enjoy? And he said, carrots. <laughs> so I made the carrots. Nice. And then I did the epic entree. Well, I did an epic family dinner and I'm calling it for that square. And then I had my farmer's market haul from our drive yesterday. I still have a lot of squares left and I really need a book that will make me laugh. And I really need to borrow the book with the Palau recipes because... Isn't that East? Is it? I own that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's why there's mind. a quizzical look on my face. I'm going to... We will confirm that. I'm going to cook a Palau because I was reading that... Well, the summer one is good with the tomatoes and the cinnamon. Yeah. I really loved how, the your description of that. And when I was reading that book that I talked about last time with the three the three different perspectives. There was some talk about different Indian dishes. Oh, okay. And that and it and then I've been watching that new the David Chang Ugly Delicious series on Netflix oh. and he was talking about how completely underrated Indian cuisine is. And I want to sort of revisit some of those cookbooks that highlight some Indian dishes. So nice. Oh yeah, I have to cook from a book too. I have a plan for that one. I just have to make sure I do it. Well remember we, I read that book that had the um they were on the cooking show. The oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I need to do that. Yeah. But we're getting getting down to it, people. So finish up. Doable. Make your entries. Come chat on the Rav group if you want. There is a group of us over there and it is getting very interesting. And if you unrelated to bingo but related very much to the podcast. If you have any questions for us, please write them in and we will include them along with a mention of you in our 100th episode, which is coming up in September. So exciting. Until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.